Men, thank you so much, Chrissy, for sharing again. Thank you, Jake, for playing. Um, I'm so inspired. Just worshiping God. It's just so good. Healthy for our souls. So great to have David and his in-laws. Welcome to you guys. Did an amazing job. I think Jeremy was excited to, to hear his native tongue uh, in the service today. So this is kind of an international Sunday in a way. We have the the Philippines uh, uh, represented, and, and uh, Jared is in Africa today. Kale is coming back from Alaska serving, and uh, it's so exciting to see, uh, you know, our little family here making a difference all over the world, amen? And that's what, this, that's what the church of Jesus does. It's never about itself in its own little area. It's all about uh, the Holy Spirit sending us out to wherever there are needs and doing the best we know how, Amen? to be like Jesus, to be Jesus to those needs. Okay, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to actually 1 John chapter 4. And then uh, if you want, we're going to go back to Acts chapter uh, 18 in a, in, in a minute. So um, I'm going to ho- go ahead and hop right in, okay? I'm going to try to, I got a lot to say and a short amount of time to say it. And so we're going to hop right into today's message from the book of Acts. Um, the title of our message is Mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty in the Scriptures. You know, uh, um, one of the popular things today that we hear a lot about is New Age spirituality, right? New Age spirituality. And I'm all for spirituality entering into the New Age, amen? As long as it's the Holy Spirituality, <laughs> Rooted in the Holy Scriptures. Are you with me there? Because it can get, woohoo! it's interesting. So, uh, uh, but let's read here in 1 John chapter 4. I, I, all of us want to be spiritual. That's why we're here. If we didn't want to be spiritual, we probably wouldn't be at church on a beautiful August Sunday morning. Uh, but in our attempt to be spiritual, it's super important that we have conviction on something this verse says right here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We want to be spiritual. We just want to make sure that we're spiritual with the true spirits and spirit of God. Amen? Uh, because there's a lot of false and a lot of dangerous spirits that can enter into us and deceive us. You know, the power, let's go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 18. You know, the, the, we've been t- walking through the book of Acts, and one of the things that we is jumping off the page is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, a, is the main character in the book of Acts. And we may think, well, it's Paul or it's the apostles. It's really not. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through the church. And we see here one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit or characteristics of the Holy Spirit is boldness or power. And the, but what we see here today in this text is that the power of the Holy Spirit is directly related to our devotion to the Holy Scriptures. You with me there? 
I'll repeat it. I'll repeat that. This is our thesis statement. This is our theme. The power of the Holy Spirit that we see in the book of Acts is directly related to the church's devotion to the Bible or to the scriptures. And that's how we test the spirits. That's how we are enveloped in the spirit and filled with the spirit and outpour the spirit to the world. We're going to see in our text today a, a, a character, a leader introduced by the name of Apollos. And Apollos is a key figure in the New Testament going forward. We're going to see Priscilla and Aquila. We were introduced to them last time. We're going to see them be very bold, empowered by the Spirit today. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul continue to be spiritual. These are spiritual leaders and people who were mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty in the Scriptures and therefore mighty in the Holy Spirit. They're going to call all of us to deepen our devotion and humility before the Word of God. And I would hope that the Spirit would say of us as the Chippewa Valley Church that we are mighty in the Scriptures. Amen? What a great goal for us. What a vision, a core value that we're not the church mighty and fancy-schmancy entertaining worship band, though I love our worship group and they lead us to worship. We're not uh, a church mighty in, you know, the uh, oratory of the preacher. We know that as I regularly make up words from the pulpit. That's not the truth. We're not a church mighty. We want to be mighty in the scriptures, rooted in the scriptures. Our foundation, everything we do and think goes back to not just our traditions or not just because it's always been done that way or not because some personality is controlling uh, how we do things, but rooted in the scriptures. Amen? Therefore, we can have the confidence that the Spirit is with us and in us and Jesus is leading us. Okay, so let's read Acts chapter 18, verse 23. So Paul is starting now on his third missionary journey. He wrapped up missionary journey number two, went back to Antioch, spent some time there, got refreshed, renewed, reinvigorated, uh, and then he's like, I ain't done yet. I'm getting older, and I've done a few things, but I'm not done yet. You know, some of us have been around Jesus a long time. Are we just sitting around letting those younger ones, or we say, no, I'm going to go. I'm Put me in the put me out there in the field. All right, amen? Uh, Caleb was 85 years old. He says, give me that promised land, because I'm just as vigorous as I was 40 years ago, back when I was a young 45. <laughs> I'm like a little over 45, and I'm already tired, okay? But I hope to be 85. I ain't going to be sitting in the back row letting everyone else do all the work around here, all right? Okay, anyways, not, nothing against the back row, okay? Don't be offended. <laughs> well, why is he picking on me, okay? Uh, okay, all right, Acts chapter 18, verse 23. So third missionary journey. Um, verse 23, it says, And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So he left Antioch and he went up. Can we see the map? So he left Antioch and he went up through uh, 
uh, Issus and Tarsus, that's where he's from. Probably saw some of his relatives there. Okay, I don't know, just made that up. Um, and then off to the southern region of Galatia. So the book of Galatians is written to a region of churches in Galatia. It's not, Galatia's not a city, it's a region. Went through some southern cities. Derby, who's from Derby? Timothy, right? Derby, Iconium, Lystra, okay? Um, that's the region of Galatia and Phrygia. That's right. And what did he do? It says, strengthening all the disciples. You know, if you're a disciple, one thing you are going to do is you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to find yourself wearing down. Are you with me? Just what Chrissy shared. They are attempting to follow Jesus and guess what? It takes sacrifice, it takes time, it takes investment, it takes energy, and if you're outpouring, you get weary. And what you need is not to just go look to, you know, sin or the world for strength. We need to be able to come to the Bible, come to one another, come to the Holy Spirit, and be strengthened. That's what we do around here. If you, we have discipleship groups. Now, hopefully church is strengthening all that, but this you're not going to get your real strength from here. You, hopefully you get a little prime of the pump. Hope your little, little thoughts like, hmm, I think I'll go study that out. That's what Sunday morning's for. Really, the real strengthening comes from our smaller discipleship groups where we get together in two, three, four or so, and we bounce off each other. We, we're open with each other. We pray together. We encourage one another. That's where the real strengthening comes from. By the way, are you devoted to your discipleship group or is it a burden where you're just too busy? Okay, you're going get, to keep getting weaker if that's the case. Don't do that. All right. So Paul went and strengthened disciples. Verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth. Okay, can we see that map again? Alexandria. It's not, it's not shown, but Alexandria is right here, okay? It's on the northern tip of Africa, uh, Egypt, where it's not, where we find out. So he was, there was a huge Jewish uh, center in northern Africa, in um, Alexandria, and this is where Apollos was from, okay? He was an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. I love that. I love that, right? I think of, you know, all of us live lives, and there's going to be, honestly, a few words that could describe our characters at the end of our life. And here we have a few words describing Apollos, and a few of them were, he was mighty in the scriptures. You know, I hope, I know, I know there's going to be certain things said about me, all right, good, you know, like incredibly funny, um, okay, that was, that was what we call a dad joke, and you're obligated to laugh at them because it's a dad joke, okay, all right, but I hope, I hope that someone would say, Man, that guy, he did a lot. He, was, he messed up a lot of things. I don't hope that, but I know they're going to say. He was, you know, he was going to. But one thing is he loved the Word of God. 
And my kids could stand up and say, I saw my dad reading the Bible every day. He was up early and he was up late and he was always talking about the Word of God to us. And he was, went to school and I was just mighty in the Scriptures. Are you with me there? Such a cool thing to say about Apollos. This man, verse 25, had been instructed. So listen, to how, how do you get mighty in the Scriptures? This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay? Um, he what had been instructed. If you're going to be mighty in the Scriptures, you need to be taught the Scriptures. Oh, no, no, not me. I'm just going to teach myself. You don't see that ever. You don't see it in the Old Covenant. You don't see it with Jesus himself who sat at the feet of the rabbis to learn. You don't see it. If, if Jesus was taught, you think you could. Jesus was the Word incarnate himself. If there's anyone who could teach himself, it would have been Jesus. But he sat and taught and questioned and argued with the rabbis. The Apostle Paul was taught. Apollos was taught. Are you being taught the scriptures? Is your attitude, please, thirsting, please teach me, going to anyone and everyone. I want to learn. All right? He uh, was taught the scriptures. says he was fervent in spirit. Anyone tired of dead church? Anyone like to go, and there's just deadness, right? That's lame, okay? Should, this Holy Spirit is not dead. He is alive. Jesus is not dead. He actually rose from that grave. So if there's a place, a gathering, that comes to celebrate an alive God, an alive Jesus, an alive Spirit, a Word of God that is living and active, then it shouldn't be dead. Now, I'm not all for about hypey hype, you know, emotion this and just experience that and, ooh, you know, uh, now there's some of that and it's all good. So it's, so it, you can go to extremes, right? But having said that, there's a lot of dead religion. Let it not be here. Are you with me? Okay, he was fervent. It means he was fired up. Okay, can we still say that? Okay, Romans 12, 11 says, Do not lag behind in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. Apollos added not just intellectual learning, but he added enthusiasm to the learning. You want to be mighty in the Scriptures? Then approach your Bible with some enthusiasm. When I hear about... Uh, I just tired in my bible for 34 seconds to check it off my box you know it's just like that's not fervent in spirit okay all right teaching so how do you get mighty in the scriptures you got to be taught you fervent in the spirit and you got to teach others oh no no i can't teach anyone else yes you can you open the bible and you point at the scripture and you ask it questions and you ask the other person questions what do you think about that? How does that apply to you? What do you see about God? What do you see about Jesus? What do you see about the way of the Lord? What do you see about your heart? What do you see? You are teaching right there. 
You don't have to come up with your own curriculum. You, you got your curriculum right here. This is the curriculum. Okay? So you actually learn the most when you teach others. That's why what we believe around here is that we go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You know, this past week, four out of the five members in my family were in studies helping others make disciples. On one day, I, sat, I went to bed Wednesday night and I thought, man, Carter, he was in there a study teaching someone. Jackson was teaching someone. I was teaching someone. Christy was teaching someone. Guess that leaves someone out, doesn't it? No pressure. I'm sure she was teaching plenty of something, you know, to people. Anyways. Okay, but that, that was like, you know what? We're, we're going to learn the most when we're sharing what we're learning. All right? Okay, teaching. And then he said she was bold. He, he had to speak out boldly. One of the ways you're going to grow mighty in the scriptures if you have the courage to take some kind of a stand on the scriptures at some point. If the scriptures are just warm, fuzzy feelings to you and you don't ever take a stand like here I stand, this is what I believe to be right and therefore that is wrong. If you are so spineless that you can't take a stand on the eternal truth, then you're not mighty in the scriptures yet. But as you learn and as you take a stand, it's like the spine just thickens. It grows. And you know who God is and who you are. And you're making no apologies. That is a mighty in the scripture space. Now, I'm not saying y'all got to go take a stand on Main Street and like shout it like really weird like. I'm just saying, you know what I'm, you know, you know where you need to be bold. You know, I'm fired up about our students. When evolution is taught in our public schools, not as a theory, but as a truth, an absolute truth, I'm fired up about I've, students that I've heard say, you know what, I got something to say about that. Now, we're fired up for, there's things that evolve and there's a lot of, you know, good things in that. But to state it as a fact that this is the origin of the universe is not okay. It is an idea. And it needs to be stated such. And so when kids go and say, I have another idea that I would like to have a little voice toward. I'm just like, you go. That's right. Um, amen. Now, I know a lot of you are public school teachers, and I love you. And you are awesome. And we love the public schools. Amen? Amen and amen. Okay? But we need to learn how to take a stand. Okay. Uh, Acts 18, let's move on. Now, this is interesting. So we have Apollos, right, who is mighty in the scriptures. He's taught. He's fervent. He's teaching. He's bold. And so he comes into church, and he starts saying some things, and he... It's interesting what happens here. This is super cool. It says, he began to speak, verse 26, B, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, wait a second here. Who does Priscilla and Aquila think they are? Because 
I am Apollos. Right? And nobody, uh, bef- uh, hey, pr- hey, Apollos, we, could we talk to you for a minute after church? And Apollos is like, well, where's your degree from? Well, what's your credentials? Do we see that spirit? Well, let's see. What kind of spirit do we see in Apollos? Okay, it says, verse 27, when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him, wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Okay, and he, when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Do you think he would have received that kind of glowing recommendation if he had been too big in his britches to actually be taught by someone else? No way. He was humble. He was humble. Matter of fact, the more you know, the more humble you get. I want to read a few verses from Proverbs chapter 1. You know what? I'm going to read them off the screen because it says, so, so Apollos didn't have this puffed up view of himself where he was too high and mighty to be taught by someone, Priscilla and Aquila, who were tent makers. Okay? It says a wise man will hear and get defensive and true, prove how much they already know. No, it says a wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So a man of understanding is going to understand what? That I need a lot more understanding. That's what he's going to understand. And so what's he going to do? Hey, could you help me teach? Could you help me understand this? I'm thinking about this. I don't know. I need help. You know, parents, do you seek understanding for how to be a good parent? Hey, could you? Hey, kids, kingdom worker, how was my kid? Was he respectful? Was he a joy to teach? Oh, he wasn't. Shocking. E- not my little Susie. You, you must be the problem. Wait a second. What are you doing? Seek to understand. What could you, you know, going to our teachers, our kids' teachers. Hey, how, how are they in class? What can I help them with? You know, I love going to my kids' teachers' things. And when they say, well, your kid is you know, got some issues. I'm like, oh, thank you for agreeing with me. <laughs> and, and what do you, what else do you see? Because I'm with your partner, okay? And, and we go, we go well, what are you doing? What can I do at home to encourage them and train and teach them? So when a teacher comes and, well, I got a bad review, if you get defensive at that, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Now, maybe there's a bad teacher who's just had a bad day. We're all, you know, Every teacher would tell you that. But are you seeking understanding? How about your marriage? When's the last time you invited someone into your marriage? Husbands. And said, I would like to meet with you so you could help me learn how to be a better husband. Would your wife pass out if she heard those words coming out of your mouth? Or is that normal? That's how he rolls. How about you, wives? Do you spend more time complaining about your husbands or asking how you could be a better wife? Which is it? Take, a, take an assessment. If you're just complaining, you ain't in Proverbs 1.5. If you're seeking to understand, you will grow. Amen? Amen?
And amen. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I say, well, if someone really wise came, then I wouldn't despise it. Okay, let's just move on. Okay. Um, Apollo Stint wasn't offended at being taught more accurately by Priscilla and Aquila. He sought it. He needed it. He invited it. That's why he was mighty in the scriptures. How teachable you are is a reflection of how strong you are and how strong you will become. The ones who can't be taught are really weak and will only get weaker. The ones who are teachable and inviting it and seeking it out, you are the strong ones and will get ever stronger. Okay, let's move on. Mighty in the whole, that's point number one is mighty in the scriptures. Point number two is mighty in the whole truth. Okay, now I want to get a little technical for the last 10 minutes, okay? And I'm going to throw a bunch at you, take a picture of the table when it's up there, and then ask questions and go study it out. But I'm going to, I'm going to throw, I want to ask this question, what was he teaching inaccurately? What was he teaching inaccurately? Doesn't say right there. But the next few verses give hints to what was inaccurate. Okay, let's read on. It says in chapter 19, verse 1, it said, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. This is where Apollos was. He was in Ephesus. And found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, or some versions say whether, uh, if, you know, about the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about 12 men. Okay, so we're going to get some... So we want to get fired up, right, in part of the sermon, but part of the sermon, I want to hear some doctrine. So we're gonna, I'm going to throw some good detailed doctrine at you. So what was going on here was confusion around baptism. They were confused about baptism, how it related to the Holy Spirit, John's baptism, baptism in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, etc. Guess what? The confusion hadn't gone away 2,000 years later, okay? Uh, but what was their confusion, Okay. Uh, John, I'm going to talk a little bit here, and then I'm going to talk about con some confusion today, all right, and what the truth is. Baptism confusion. John's baptism was an old covenant baptism of repentance. Go study out John the Baptist. He called people to repent, okay? But it was old covenant. It wasn't Christian new covenant baptism yet. Why? Because Jesus hadn't come yet and died and buried, resurrected yet, okay? That's the start of book of Acts, all right? Um, so this is Old Covenant baptism. 
Um, Christian baptism is when we're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit, okay? So Paul came along and said, um, that baptism that you know of, it's, it's, you have incomplete understanding. There's more now. There's more good news. Jesus died, and you can be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, okay? So that's what he taught them, and that's what they did. They say, oh, wait a second, what's this speaking in tongues? And, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, I thought the Holy Spirit comes in us when we're baptized into Christ. Why did it say that the Holy Spirit came on them when Paul laid his hands on them? And they started speaking. And by the way, what is tongues? Tongues is languages. We spoke in tongues today. Now, let, let that rock your world. We spoke in tongues today, okay? Uh, uh, Armando, Armando, Armando uh, spoke in the Filipino language. What's it called? Tagalog. Tagalog, okay? That is, tongue means language. It's been misinterpreted to mean gibberish. Okay, that's, that's not tongues. Tongues is just a different language, okay? So um, there's John's baptism, there's Christian baptism, and then there's the Holy Spirit sign gifts outpouring. And if you remember, there's a very specific purpose for the Holy Spirit sign gifts outpouring. It's to welcome either a visible sign that these people are truly in the kingdom of God. It's not a deceiving spirit. It's a spirit from God, okay? And it happened in Acts 2 for the Jews. It happened in Acts chapter 8 for the Samaritans that the Jews, see, they didn't like the Samaritans. But God was saying, yes, even the Samaritans can be in my family, okay? And then the Gentiles, whoa, I really don't like the Gentiles. I'm sorry, even the Gentiles can be in my family, okay? And so this is a mini one of those, and it's either saying those who were baptized with John's baptism, they can be Christians, or those who are in Asia, they can be Christians. Ephesus was a primary city in Asia, okay? But it's a unique experience, okay? The baptism in the Christ, that's a universal experience. Bap this laying on of hands, outpouring of spirit, speaking in tongues, that sort of thing, is a unique experience for the Jews, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, here the Asians, and that sort of thing. Does that make sense? So a little confusion a little hopefully clarity. Uh, listen to the tape. Okay, let's talk about some baptism confusion in our day. Okay, I'm going to throw this at you. This is like a... Okay, and hopefully what you'll do is be like... Okay, well, I didn't think that before, but that's an interesting thought. I'm going to go study the scriptures and be taught. Amen? Let's throw our table up there. Who likes a table? Okay, so here is... Oh, man, where's my pointer? Hey, Ellen, could you run that pointer up here? All right. And, and, and it's like four minutes. Okay. Okay. Here's some baptism confusion for our day. Let's talk about infant baptism. Infant, anyone ever heard of infant baptism? Okay. It's super, super duper common. Um, infant baptism started 300 years or so after Jesus. Jesus never taught it nor practiced it. We never see it in the book of Acts. It was about 300 years later. That it started, okay? Um, there's some inaccuracies, okay? Um, faith is involved always around baptism. The inaccuracy about infant baptism 
is that the parent's faith is cool. It's really, it's not the infant who's coming to faith in Jesus who's getting baptized, right? It's the parent's faith, okay? Um, the scriptures in Colossians 2.12 says that in baptism we are raised according to your faith, meaning the person being baptized. So for a Christian baptism, the person being baptized needs to have an active saving faith, okay? Colossians 2.12, go look it up, okay? And so an accurate is personal faith, not just parents' faith, okay? Um, again, if you have questions about any of these things, don't just be like, uh -uh. let's be like Apollos, okay? Hmm, that's interesting. Let me think about that. Let me go study that out, okay? Uh, how about repent? Does the baby repent? Repentance is not just a, uh, repentance is a complete turning direction of way of life. I'm what. I'm walking this direction, I, repentance is I stop, I turn, and I walk the other direction. That's repentance, okay? A baby cannot repent of their pride. A baby cannot repent of its lust and impurity and immorality. A baby cannot repent of its deep selfishness. That baby going to be selfish for a long time, we know that, okay? Um, so, but since repentance is needed around baptism, let's just do it later, Okay? And that's inaccurate. Romans 6 says that death to the old self, burial, resurrection is a part of baptism. Matter of fact, that it's the essence of baptism, okay? Uh, repentance must be current. Uh, original sin. Refer to the doctrine of original sin. Uh, there's partly truth to original sin in that we are all born with the sinful nature. That is true. But Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says that he, the soul who sins, is the one who will die. In other words... God says, you're not going to pay condemnation for your parents' sins. You're going to pay condemnation for your own sins at some point, but not for your parents' sins. Each person who sins will have justice coming to them, okay? Which is why we get baptized into Christ, so we get forgiven of our sins, okay? But uh, so while there's part truth in that, a baby that's born is not born into condemnation, which is why you want to do it as soon as possible, because if they die, they go to hell. Really, we serve a God where a, a six-day-old baby dies and goes to hell? No, it's not what the Bible teaches. I'm sorry. Okay, Ezekiel 18.20 says differently, personal accountability. And then, so all these things the church felt was, was wrong, and they came up with a new doctrine. Let's call it confirmation. What that is is when you're older you will confirm the things that should have been there when you were baptized. Okay? That's what confirmation is. All right? So you, you go and learn about faith. You go and learn about repentance. You go learn about lordship, okay, in baptism, what it really is. And do you confirm that? Sounds good to me. All right. Okay, I'm not, I, don't, I shouldn't have said that. Not everyone treats confirmation that way. But we do know that confirmation classes a lot of times can be very uh, religious, let's call it that, okay? All right, so adult confirmation, what the Bible just teaches is instead of confirming these things, just adult conversion. And a baby is already safe. They don't need to be saved, okay, until they cross into a time Accountability, and we don't know when that is exactly, but we know it's there. Okay, so here's, and I'm going to throw this 
Okay. This is even going to go faster. Okay. Here's another popular confusion about baptism. That baptism, okay, we see it shouldn't be for babies, it should be for adults. Oh, and by the way, let me, let me sh- I want to share the fruit of infant baptism over many ages and hundreds of years produces a faithless, heartless Christianity. And we are all aware of the tragedies that have been outcropped in the Catholic Church this week. Well, that have happened for, for decades. And I'm not going to stand here and say in self-righteousness anything. But I will stand here and say there's a reason. And it's false teaching. It's false teaching that's accumulated on itself over the years. And the fruit, the tree is shown for what it is. Okay? Okay, so let's talk about symbol baptism, where we need to be an adult and we're saved by grace through faith alone, and baptism is just something that happens later. Okay? All right? So that's why it's called a, just a symbol of what's already gone on in your faith. And there's this very popular, we're saved by grace through faith alone. Okay? We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace through faith but faith alone never appears actually in the Bible. Martin Luther, in responding to the Catholic Church that we just talked about, added the word alone to his Bible. Matter of fact, the only time faith alone appears in the New Testament is in the book of James, which Brad is our local expert, and it's actually saying you're not saved by faith alone. That's what it says, okay? So to save, say, I'm just saved by faith alone is confusing. Say, well, and Acts 2.38 says, when we repent and we're baptized, that's when our sins are forgiven. We are saved by grace through faith at baptism because that's when we enter into Christ. You're not good enough outside of Christ to be saved. I know you're an awesome person, but you're still a sinner, okay? It's when we, in baptism, when we enter into Christ. Baptism has been labeled a work. We're not saved by works, which is true. Since baptism is labeled a work, it must happen later. Baptism is a work. It's a work of God. Colossians 2.12 says that you're raised with him through the powerful working of God. Amen? So it is a work of God, not a work of the person being baptized. Okay, that's why it's not meriting your salvation, it's receiving it as a gift. So baptism and and saved by grace are not at odds with each other. They are in the same soup, okay? And once you try to separate out soup ingredients, you get weird, okay? It tastes bad, okay? Um, Or it's just a symbol of what's already gone on in the heart. 1 Peter 3, 20, 21, right in there, says that actually baptism is a symbol, but it's a, it's a symbolizes the flood, that the flood was a symbol of new covenant baptism. Does that make sense? So what happened in the flood? Only those who were in the ark, and God immersed the earth, and it rid of all evil and sin, etc. 
and those were saved who were in the ark, all right? So baptism's not a symbol. Baptism, the, the, the flood is a symbol of baptism. Baptism is where we enter into Christ. The best way, and I'll be done right now. I know I've said that about eight times, but I really mean it this time. So when you get married, you, you get a symbol of your marriage, right? Wedding ring. Now, if I take that off, does that mean I'm not married? No, I'm still married. This is just a symbol, right? So you see, see baptism is just a symbol. You take it off, you're still, you have saving faith. Actually, it's, it, baptism's not the wedding ring. Baptism is the wedding. Baptism is the exchange of vows, the giving of one another, and the two becoming one. That's baptism. Amen? And that's why you can't marginalize it. And the fruit, long-term fruit of baptism being a symbol is a discipleship-less Christianity. Christianity that doesn't include discipleship of Jesus. Okay? That's a fruit of that. Okay. Got questions on that? Here's what you do. First of all, go study the text. Okay? And if you want, you can call me up and we will chat. Because if that's inaccurate, then I need to know. We always want to be taught, right? Amen. Okay. Mighty in the Scriptures. Let's wrap it up. Taught, fervent, teaching others, taking bold stands, and being taught again. What are, what, any of those that connects with you, you can grow mighty in the Scriptures. Baptism confusion. Study the Bible. Initiate questions and thinking. And if you're thinking about getting baptized and you haven't, <coughs> get baptized. Amen? Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila, Paul, they were mighty in the Scriptures. Deeply spiritual, deeply scriptural, and went from ordinary to emboldened disciples making disciples. Amen? Okay, love you guys. Kenny is going to come up at this point with some uh, contribution and announcements, and then we'll have one last...